Good morning, good morning. It's not only looking a lot like Christmas, it's feeling a lot like Christmas. I don't know how early you were up, but I was up early enough to take a look at the thermometer. It was 42 degrees. Chile. We are continuing on in our series in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, a verse that was popularized in this generation at least by a lifetime of Christmas cards, uh, sermon series like this one, and uh, no doubt Handel's Messiah, uh, part 12 being uh, a riff basically on Isaiah 9-6, for unto us a child is born. Now those words we're not born of, of whimsy or, 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 or fancy, like those uh, in Hobby Lobby, you know, the, the Hobby Lobby uh, sign that you can purchase and put in your house. It simply says, believe. Uh, I had a daughter who worked at Hobby Lobby for two years, and I asked her, what do some of the other signs say? And she started to rattle these things off one after the other. I said, how do you know all those? Dad, I worked there for two years. And they're also warm and wonderful and entirely vacuous. But these words, Isaiah 9-6, are born out of history, uh, spoken by God through his prophet to his people at a point and a place in time. And further, they're words that are filled with hope, words for God's people in that day who were struggling with their faith, specifically whether to place it in man or in God. I think Fred and uh, Rob did a great job taking this passage and putting it into its original context for us. But that also serve as words of hope for God's people in our day who are struggling with faith in the same way. So at the core of Isaiah 9-6, it reveals the God in whom we place our faith. Wonderful counselor, giver of solid advice. Yep, I could use that. Uh, mighty God, giver of strong support. I could use that. Prince of peace, giver of a supreme well-being. I could use that. Everlasting Father. Uh, Father? Everlasting? You know, some say, I'm not sure I really want that. Because there are those for whom the thought of an everlasting Father gives them pause because the image of their human father has negatively affected the image of our heavenly father. And you may be one of those persons. And I'm sorry. Maybe you never knew your dad due to death or uh, divorce or desertion. Fatherlessness was a problem in Isaiah's day. In fact, there was a need for justice among the fatherless because there was a lack of justice among the fatherless. We see that two times over back in chapter 1. 
Maybe you never liked your dad because he was absent or usually unavailable or often unpleasant. Maybe you feared your dad because of abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. That, that kind of disaffection, that sort of fear toward one's father is actually a natural thing. Uh, as a boy, my grandfather had a bad experience down at Huntington Beach. After that, he was really uh, never much for the water. Uh, some of you may have had a bad experience with an animal when you were a child, and after that, you were never much one for a pet. And in the same way, some of you have had a bad or at least a sad experience with a father. And after that, you never cared much for him or to be around him. So, wonderful counselor, that's good. Uh, mighty God, good with that. Prince of Peace, well, we could all use more of that. Everlasting Father, uh, I don't know. But this passage isn't only for those who have had a negative image of fatherhood, but also for those men and women whose positive image of their father has, uh, uh, has been eclipsed, or uh, of their, I'm sorry, positive image of their human father has eclipsed the image of our heavenly father. What do I mean by that? Well, you may be one who holds your human father in such high regard that you tend to minimize or even ignore your heavenly father. So, for instance, instead of going to your heavenly father by way of scripture for answers, you directly go to your godly dad. Um, instead of going to your heavenly father by way of prayer for wisdom, you go directly to your godly dad. Instead of going to your heavenly father by way of um, uh, uh, his people for support, you go straight to your godly dad. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to a godly dad in any one or all of those ways, but if that's the only way that you are relying on him, what's going to happen when he's gone? What are you going to do then? I think I've mentioned here before a conversation I had with my father. I was well into my 40s. And uh, through tears, I said, Dad, what am I going to do when you're gone? So here's the heart of the matter for all of us here this morning. We need a father who won't disappoint us, who won't desert us. We need a father in whom we can place our faith for all time, throughout life, and even beyond life. We need an everlasting father. And Isaiah says that the everlasting father of chapter 9, verse 6, he's that father. The one who transforms our image of fatherhood into something that's restorative and whole. And the one who begins that transformation by introducing himself to us, not as an adult, 
Some of you have had that uncomfortable introduction. I'd like to introduce you to uh, your new father. May not have come across in those words, but you understood in that moment uh, what was being said to you. I used to work with a fellow who had that introduction made three times over as he was growing up. No, this introduction comes not as an adult, but as a child, as a baby lying on a bed of straw, as a son of lowly Joseph and Mary, as Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus is our everlasting father. My mom, whenever she would see a homeless man, whenever she would see a homeless man, she would almost invariably and always wistfully say, you know, once upon a time he was somebody's baby. And uh, her comment accentuates the length to which sin can take a person, right? from the innocence of a newborn to the overindulgences of adulthood. And truth be told, to one degree or another, that's what sin has done to you and me. All of us here, from childhood on, have been affected by the ravages of sin. Every man, but for one man, the God-man. The Christ of Christmas. Now listen to this, I find this fascinating. The Christ of Christmas, our eternal Father, grew up to be just as pure, just as wholesome, just as true as he was when he was born of Mary. When he was visited by the wise men. When he was rescued to Egypt. When he engaged with the teachers in the temple. Now to be sure, Jesus uh, grew up to lose his naivete. Uh, case in point, John 2.24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to all people because he knew all people. Sometimes when I understand that a person's trying to get one by on me, I'll say, uh, hey, I may be born again, but I wasn't born yesterday. And that's, that's Jesus. That's why he exhorted his followers to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So Jesus was wise to the world in which he lived, but he never lost his sinless innocence. So Jesus was masculine without being toxic. He, he was paternal without being exasperating or, or, or irksome. Uh, he was godly without being smug. This is the one, this sinless, and most of all, accessible, everlasting Father in whom the prophet calls us to place our faith. And with that, we come to this morning's main point, which is simply this. What does it mean that Jesus is the everlasting Father? And we're going to look at that from a couple of different angles. Uh, one, and just in short, as it concerns the Trinity, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then second, at, at a little greater length, what that means to you and me um, as, it, as it concerns uh, us here this morning. 
So let's begin by considering what it means that Jesus is the everlasting Father as it concerns the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And simply put, Jesus is not the Father. He's not the Father. The first person of the Trinity is the Father. Second person is the Son. Third person is the Holy Spirit. And as Fred pointed out a couple of weeks ago, uh, when it comes to the Trinity, in theological terms, we are not modalists. Modalists. That is to say, the Trinity is not comprised of one God who expresses himself in a given moment by morphing into any one of three modes. So all Father or all Son or all Holy Spirit at a given time. No, rather, the Trinity is comprised of one God who always expresses himself as three distinct coexisting persons. Jeremy Begbie is a uh, musician and a bit of a theologian. And he likens the Trinity by analogy to a musical chord. So all of you musicians uh, know that, that a chord is comprised of how many notes? Three notes, right? And those three notes, let's say a C major chord, uh, elicit a single sound. So you press those three notes and you get a single sound. But each of those three independent notes out of which the chord is built, though they're musically equal, no greater than the others, are tonally distinct. So in a C major, the C is not E, E is not G, G is not C. And in the same way, the Trinity is a singular expression of the Godhead, a la Deuteronomy 6. The Lord our God is one God, comprised of three distinct persons. It's found, for example, in Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus instructs his followers to baptize disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Or in 1 Peter 1, 2, where the apostle speaks of God's people as being elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. So while Isaiah 9, 6 indicates that the Christ of Christmas would be the everlasting Father, He is still the Son in the economy of the Trinity. Okay? Got that? Let's get that out of the way. As it concerns us here in this room, Jesus, though, is our Father. Really, uh, uh, maybe a better way to put it is He's Father-like. For at least a couple of reasons. First, because he's the revealer of the Father. So let, let me give you an entirely imperfect illustration here. Don't drill down on this. Take it for all of its superficial worth. Um, my, my brother died 14 years ago, but his sons, my nephews, uh, reveal their father to me all the time. 
by the way they look, by the things they say, uh, the manner in which they do things. In fact, I was talking to a good friend of my brother's the other night uh, who said, every time I'm with your nephews, I feel like I'm with Scott. My nephews reveal their father to me in ways that only they can because of the connection that they possess, a genetic connection, relational connection. Now, they're not their father, but they nonetheless reveal their father to me, though imperfectly. In the same way, while Jesus is not the father, he revealed the father to us, but he did so perfectly. Perfectly. So John 1.18 tells us, no one has ever seen God, that is God the Father, but the only God who is at the Father's side, that is God the Son, he has made him known. Now that phrase, he has made him known, could also be rendered, um, uh, uh, Jesus revealed the Father, or uh, Jesus told us all about the Father. In fact, the phrase, the, the whole phrase comes from a single word out of which we get the, the English term exegesis. Exegesis is to do uh, careful uh, study and interpretation of a particular thing. Jesus did exegesis on the Father. And he did that by way of mediating the Father in word and deed. So John's, John's gospel goes on to tell us that Jesus said what the Father told him to say, John 12, 49. Jesus did what the Father told him to do, John 5, 19. And in these ways, Jesus revealed, uh, uh, expressed the Father to us. But it didn't stop there. John also tells us that Jesus revealed the Father to us by mediating the way to the Father, right? John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father but by Jesus. And he goes even further. He went so far as to say, Jesus did, if you've seen me, you've actually seen the Father. In fact, we've sung about this twice already this morning in one carol, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In another, the babe, the world's redeemer, first revealed his sacred face. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus made the invisible visible. Or as Paul roughly put it to the Colossians, the mystery of God that was hidden was revealed in Christ. So, first thing here, Jesus is our Father because he's, he's the revealer of the Father. In Jesus we know, we understand, we have a relationship with the Father. But second, Jesus is our Father because he is our Redeemer. Kenny uh, has already begun to uh, explain that to us this morning. By birth, we're all sons of Adam, right? And in Adam, we've all died. But by new birth, we're all sons of Christ. And in that way, Jesus is our Father. 
in him we are redeemed. We're made alive. We are his offspring. Um, Kenny was really helpful uh, on this earlier this week. He pointed me to 1 Corinthians 15.45 where Paul writes, thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, that is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. And then Kenny, Kenny added this, I'd say life-giving is definitely a fatherly attribute, and Jesus is eternal life-giving, everlasting Father. I hear Charles Spurgeon on this. Generation makes us the son of Adam. Regeneration acknowledges us as the sons of Christ. In our first birth, we came under the fatherhood of the fallen one. In our second birth, we enter the fatherhood of the innocent and perfect one. In our first fatherhood, we wear the image of the earthly. In the second, we receive the image of the heavenly. And we sang that also this morning, didn't we? Adam's likeness, now erase, stamp, boom, your image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in your love. Our everlasting Father, Jesus, revealed God to us, redeemed us into a relationship with him, and he's the only one who could do that, right? None of us could generate that sort of a thing. And that's why this whole section here uh, concludes there at the bottom of verse 7 with this line. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God will do it. He'll get it done. He'll make sure it happens. In fact, that word zeal is, uh, is it's a, a intense word, consuming, red-faced, passionate. When I think of red-faced, I think of me. Uh, when I was in high school competing in athletics, I remember one of my uh, fellow linemen on the football team, Ronnie Himes, used to say, you know, my dad loves to look at you through his binoculars because your face gets so red. He said to me once, I think Randy's head's going to blow up in the helmet. But that, that's the idea here, the zeal, the red-faced, uh, uh, passionate uh, uh, churning of the Lord. It's going to accomplish this. It took all that focus and force and fortitude to meet our great and overwhelming need for a father who will never let us down, ever. Who, as Ray Ortland put it, will answer everything that has ever terrorized us. And his answer to the bully swaggering through history is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer isn't a child. His answer is Jesus, our everlasting Father. Well, on Christmas morning, uh, Christmas Eve morning, our family will gather around uh, the radio at 7 a.m., uh, tune in 91.5, and listen to Nine Lessons and Carols from King's College at Cambridge University. 
uh, you, you can do the same thing. In fact, what we do is probably in a week now, they'll post on the King's College uh, Choir website the, the program for that morning in a PDF form. And I always send it off to a Staples or the Biola print shop, and I have them print it off for me. Actually, for every member of our family, I put a little binding on there. And we <clears throat> sit with coffee in hand and something good to eat. We read the lyrics as they're sung. And it's about 90 minutes of, of glory. So that's what we'll be doing on Christmas Eve morning. And that program, like it has since 1919, will begin with a, a single a boy chorister leading out in the hymn, Once in Royal David City. Now, one of the nice things about this carol is that its author, Cecil Francis Alexander, uh, didn't leave Jesus in the manger, as so many carols do. In the third verse of that song, he, he connects the first advent, what we're celebrating today and in these days leading up to Christmas, with the second advent, uh, the great anticipation of the last day. Here it's Jesus incarnate, then it's Jesus glorified. And he does so by alluding in this song, the third verse, to Jesus as our everlasting Father and to we as his children. So we're going to sing this in a moment, but let me just read it here for you. And our eyes at last will see him. That's the second advent. I just have to pause. I don't know about your Christmas season, but man, this one's been filled with death. Uh, for me, I did a funeral yesterday, attended one on Friday, have one scheduled for the 28th, know two people that will probably not make it to the end of the year. This is so full of hope, Christmas hope. And our eyes at last will see him. There's the second advent. Through his own redeeming love for that child so dear and gentle. There's the first advent. Is our Lord in heaven above, ascended in his place of authority. And here's you and me. And he leads his children on. The everlasting Father, he, he leads his children on to the place where he has gone. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what I'm looking forward to. It, 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 it's like Jenny said, that's why we're here. There's purpose in our being here and not at Home Depot or not on the couch. We're here to edify and encourage each other as we look forward to the last day. So we want to conclude by singing about the one in whom you can put your full faith, who unlike your human father is never going to let you down. And in that way is the Christmas gift that keeps on giving right to the end and beyond. Jesus, our everlasting Father. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you for being our Father and our everlasting Father, showing us the Godhead in a way unlike we could have known it otherwise, and being there for us now and evermore. Lord, I pray especially for those who are struggling with their dad today, that you would show up big as father, tender father, innocent father, loyal father, accessible father. And in that way, make this Christmas maybe the best ever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.